Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Millennials Anonymous Podcast. Yes, it's your girl Lise Winnie and I am a fucking millennial. So today we're going to do something a little bit different because if you don't know, I'm going to tell you, uh, tomorrow is election day and it could possibly be the end of democracy as we know it. It's the end of the world and we know it. So I said, hey, we might as well rerun a special that we did on Maps Media, which is called For the People of the People and the People Talk Election Special. So we're going to be airing that on Millennials Anonymous Podcast. So we will not have top 10 trending topics or any other loveliness of what I usually do. But it calls for something different. You know, we got to speak to the election, see where people's heads are at, because, you know, it is what we do. So without further ado... Alex Sutton Sharp and I hosted a panel of amazing human beings and I am so happy that they were a part of this and that they graced us with their lovely presence on this particular panel and it was James Cook who is an engineer and an education professional, Linda Wolp. Woolard, who is the president of a charitable foundation, Justice Epen, a software developer, and he's also a business owner, Marissa Johnson, she's the host of the Queen's Table podcast, and Chris Inc., which is a trucking professional. So let's move right into the For the People of the People special. everybody welcome to a new episode of for the people of the people this is the election special we have a whole new group of guest host panelists here today we are going to be talking and having an open conversation from people who have different ideologies they have different understandings and they're from different parties so this is a conversation this is not a place to bash we are not arguing we are just having open dialogue. So what I need to do now is to introduce you to all of the wonderful people who were on the panel today. Or at least most of us. Most of us are here. Now let's meet our panelist for tonight. Chris Inc. is a trucking professional and brings in a firm conservative view. James Cook is an educator and providing insight from the libertarian perspective. Linda Woolard is a president of a charitable foundation and will be giving insight on the democratic base. Marissa Johnson is the host of the Queen's Table podcast. And she will be voicing her perspective from a progressive POV. Justice Epen is a software developer and business owner who's bringing the birthday party views. We would like to welcome our panelists. All right. So we are here today. We're going to be talking, everybody, like like I mentioned before, if you are watching this, we will be using or may use some adult language every now and again, but we are going to be very respectful to one another. I just wanted to throw that out there. So without further ado, I want to get some information. Marissa will be on her way. I believe she's probably about three minutes or so away. So we'll give her some time. But in the meanwhile, we need to find out about each one of you. So here's the the first question that I'm going to be asking each one of you. Who are you planning on voting for this year in this presidential election? 
If you want to name your political affiliation, you can do so. And then if you would ever vote outside of that affiliation. And lastly, what are the key campaign promises for the candidate that you are planning on supporting? So I'm going to ask Mr. Cook, can you give us who you are? Let's get let's get your political yeah. background. So James Cook here. Um, political background is originally growing up. I was kind of like right wing. Um, I came. I was I was actually registered as a Republican when I was like seventeen. You know, like going in the first uh, first time going into voting. Um, but I quickly dropped that. I became a libertarian um, because I just kind of realized. A lot of the right wing ideology wasn't quite what I lined up with. And a lot of the left wing ideology wasn't what I lined up with. And I just kind of really got attracted to this idea of like free people make good decisions. I own my body, you own your body. And we kind of respect that. Like that's that's a platform. Like don't hit anybody, don't take their stuff and we can figure it out and we can cooperate. So I'm voting for Joe Jorgensen, who's the um, libertarian nominee uh, for president in 2020. Um, she is actually, she was in 1996, the first, um, female ever elected or ever uh, nominated to a presidential ticket as the VP for the Libertarian Party. She is also the, um, the, uh, she's been a Libertarian for, you know, 30 plus years. She's a PhD, uh, psychology lecturer at Clemson. I think she's got a lot that she brings to the table. Um, some of the key campaign, uh, promises are, um, ending the drug war. Uh, she says on day one, she will uh, federally pardon anyone that is convicted of nonviolent crimes at the federal level. Um, also on day one, she will bring the troops home from 150 countries that we're currently occupying. Um, and then she refuses to sign a um, non-balanced budget. Um, anytime that a budget will be sent from Congress to her that is not a balanced budget, uh, she will not sign it. And I think those are some hardline things that um, good candidates should be able to stand for. I think I think libertarians bring a lot for um, for everyone. They have something for everybody. So awesome, awesome. Okay, uh, now I want to get Chris. Can you give us, or should I call you Christopher? Can you tell us the same? Who are you going to be voting for this year? Would Chris you ever vote out of that affiliation? And what are some of the key things you are looking at this year? Well, again, I want to say thank you for inviting me for this. This is the first time I've been on a podcast, so this is a fun experience. Um, it's nice to have a, a, a platform in which I can share my opinion because I've been feeling very strongly about different things. Um, and the, the person I'm voting for, well, hold on for one second here. I think that explains it right there, right there. I know I have to throw that in there because that will be a little funny once in a while. But, yeah, supporting Trump, um, I'm a Republican, but uh, growing up, I wasn't very, I didn't really follow the politics that much at all. Um, I started following a little bit when Obama was in office and started following it ever since. But I think this past year, I've really been really in depth looking into it. And um, I think I think a lot of people, I think with what, everything that's going on, I think a lot of people in America sh should wake up. But I think a lot of them are. I think we should be concerned about Who's vote? Uh, who's in the presidency office? What's uh, their policies? How it affects you in the long run? I think more people need to be more involved with uh, our politicians and, and making sure we have the right ones for what works for us. As I'm a Republican, but uh, since I've been getting more into the politics world, I think I'm probably I, a Republican. I think more maybe leaning for a conservative. Republican maybe leaning to conservative. To me, I'm not all big with the names. To me, I, I focus my opinion on um, what I feel. 
uh, it's best for my faith because I'm a Christian. I'm very, very based my uh, decisions on my faith and the way I live. And uh, I believe in protecting the Constitution and the rights of the Constitution, which is one of the reasons why I do support Trump, because I feel like not only does he, being a businessman background instead of being a politician, he, uh, he came from a business background, which is the economy. I think he's also been, did a great job with the military, strengthening the military. And I think he's going to be uh, the best one for America in the long run. Uh, to protect our freedoms, uh, a much stronger president than Joe Biden, and um, that's kind of where I stand. As for as for uh, voting outside the party, um, again, like I said, I'm a Republican, but only by name. I have my own mindset and my opinion about things. It just seems like I steer more to the Republican Party, um, and maybe toward the conservative side a little bit too. But you know, I go by Republican, but I, I make my uh, convictions on uh, my faith and my opinion rather than just a party. Okay. Okay. I can, I can respect that. And uh, Linda, can you tell us who you're voting for this year? Can you tell us, you know, what key issues are important to you and if you would vote outside of that affiliation? For sure. Um, I got involved in um, politics after hurricane Katrina, when new Orleans was struggling to rebuild Um and about a year into that process, I realized we weren't, really weren't going to make it back as a community unless we had an ally in the White House. So I started uh, volunteering for the Obama campaign in 2007. And since then, I have either as a volunteer or a staff person worked on some campaign, um, whether it's for a candidate or an issue based campaign. I've been doing that ever since. Uh, I'm voting this year for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Uh, I do identify as a Democrat. I am ideologically a progressive. I have voted for candidates outside the party. In fact, I just did uh, in this. Uh, a vote, I early voted earlier this week, uh, and I voted for an independent candidate um, in one of the local races. Uh, the key campaign promises for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris is, you know, you've all probably heard, Joe Biden's talking about restoring the soul of the nation. Um, but I think the first thing to tackle is tackling the pandemic, getting the economy stabilized and helping those who are most in need based on the fact that they're handling the pandemic and the economic downturn. And the, all those things are related. Um, he said he will protect and improve upon Obamacare. And one of the big uh, things that he and Kamala are talking about are uh, a climate addressing climate change through a clean energy economy. And that'll be jobs for folks, a, a big uh, economic initiative through clean, clean energy jobs. Okay. Awesome. That. Awesome. All right, Justice, can you, can you break it down for us? Let us know who you're voting for. Cause this is, this is a good one. And let us know what the key issues are for you. And would you ever vote outside of that affiliation? Yes. Thank you so much for, again, having me on the show. Last time I was on, it was a really rocking good time. So I'm really glad to be back. Uh, I'll admit that I don't really decide who to vote for until I'm in the ballot box. But this year, I am strongly leaning toward voting for Kanye West and the birthday party. And here's why. Uh, number one, the Democratic Party is an unmitigated disaster for its entire history. The party of slavery, of Jim Crow, of all that. Um, I honestly cannot see 
really any leadership whatsoever in the Democratic Party. And I think it would just be a great, great thing for America if we could put that party to rest forever. Um, I'm not a mono party person or a multi party person. I think a two party system is just fine, but we got to get rid of the Democratic Party. So I'll probably never vote for them. Uh, in Maryland this year, a red wave isn't really in play. So I think the pragmatic strategic vote here actually is for Kanye West. If you support Kanye West, if you vote for him, uh, you'll be taking votes away from Biden, which is a great, great thing. Take votes away from the like lying supporter of baby murder and give them to the pro-life, pro-Christian candidate. I'm 100% on board for that. So in Maryland, I think a vote for Kanye West is the right vote. Um, you know, the only way America truly becomes great again, truly favored by God is a matter of repentance from sin and just being a good, moral, virtuous people, which is what this country was designed for. Um, would I ever change my affiliation? I'm actually an independent. I'm not registered with any political party. I never have been. Um, I do consider myself very open minded, though. And, you know, I'm attracted to a lot of like conservative principles, libertarian principles. So, yeah, I would definitely vote for someone who is really virtuous, really wise, um, anyone that's like the right choice at the time, you know, you're given the options that you're given and you need to make the lesser of an evil, lesser of multiple evils decision. So, yep, I'm voting for Kanye and I would definitely consider voting for other people. Okay. Okay. And Marissa, can you let us know, uh, who you're planning for planning on voting for this year. If you're undecided, you can say that. And if you have decided if you would vote outside of that political affiliation and what are the key issues for you this year? Okay, well, um, I first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, great to be here. Um, I did early vote. And I went ahead and I voted for Joe Biden under duress. I did not want to vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> that is not my guy. <laughs> okay. Um, he's, in my opinion, better than Trump. So at this point, uh, I, di I didn't want him. I wanted Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang was my guy. Um, and I'll tell you the main reasons why he had an actual plan. He had an actual plan that was doable, and a lot of uh, the other candidates in the Democratic Party were um, just pandering, telling people what they wanted to hear instead of the truth. There was a lot of things that Andrew Yang said, you know, listen, I'd love to be able to do X, Y, and Z, but at this point in time, it's not going to be a thing. I like someone who is honest and as much as a politician can be. And, um, and that, that gets to the point, and that's what Andrew Yang did. However, he is not a candidate, so I ended up voting for Joe Biden. My only, my one and only issue that I care about, I um, took a page from that show uh, on Netflix, uh, The Patriot Act. There was an episode where he was talking about how we have too many tabs open, too many things that we're so incredibly passionate about that we can't get to each and every one of them. We need to close out some of those tabs and find what it is that you're interested in, what it is that you're passionate about, and run with that. So I've taken a page out of that book. The only thing that I'm concerned about is the Black agenda. If you don't have a Black agenda, then I can't vote for you. And to be honest with you, if, if Donald Trump even had it had a, uh, a viable black agenda, I would have voted for him, but he didn't. Nobody else does. Um, I don't believe that Joe Biden would actually implement a lot of stuff, but we're in a position 
that we actually have leverage now. So that's why I voted for Joe Biden. But let's be clear, didn't want to. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So it's interesting. We have a bunch of different perspectives on uh, who and why you want to vote for the particular candidates that you have, but we need to really get and dig a little bit deeper into it. Alex, do you want to take this one away? Uh, are we going with the bulletin points? We're going with the uh, next question. Oh, well, we, I mean, we can go with the, the next, the next question. I think we kind of, okay. yeah. So the next question would be, is America great right now? What policies did Trump put in place that has made it great? If you believe he has, or what has he done to make it not great? So I want to throw it to James. You said me. So I, first of all, make America great. That 2016 slogan. I thought that was a really good slogan. Just talking from a slogan perspective, I thought it was on on the level of Obama's hope and change. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. That was really good because it kind of drew some of the uh, everyone kind of recognizes. I think regardless of your political affiliation, you recognize that there's some things wrong in, in the country. You don't quite know or we can't quite agree on exactly what's wrong, but we, we need to fix some stuff. Right. So Trump actually tapped into that, which is why I think his campaign was so successful. He tapped into it. It was a great slogan. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't think um, America right now is better off in 2020 than it was in 2016. So that's why his campaign slogan, um, you know, keep America great, doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, you see, uh, even aside from the COVID pandemic, I was talking about this, you know, even in 2018, 2019, a lot of his policies, especially economic policies, were just uh, they were destroying the economy. It was like putting putting the economy on caffeine and i know a lot about caffeine because i drink plenty of it but i know when to stop the problem is he um i think is just so short-sighted that he wants the economy to do really well he wants to get the credit for it um and so he's willing to sacrifice long-term stable growth for short-term making him look good and i think that's one of his main problems he wants to make himself look good over anything else um, so even even aside from that, there's so many other issues that I don't think are better now. I think we're more divided. I think there's more centralized power in Washington. Um, and that makes us fight like we should be unified on so many different issues. But the fact is, there's so much power. Donald Trump has so much power. Um, and, and if Biden wins, he's going to have so much power. And we're, we're all just going to Washington to fight each other instead of if, if the power is a little bit more local. We wouldn't have to fight over whether we open schools or how, exactly how we deal with COVID or just all of these mandates that we're all fighting over. It's all because the power is in one spot. So I think that makes us worse overall. And it makes the political discussion worse. It makes all of the animosity worse. It makes us at each other's throats. And I think that's contributing to a lot of the, the civil unrest right now. So no, I don't think America's great right now. I think it's much worse than it was in 2016. And I, I didn't I didn't answer. I forgot. Uh, would I vote out of my party? Absolutely. I actually have. I was a Tulsi Gabbard fan, uh, the Democratic Party this past uh, year. Um, okay. voted for primaries. I really liked her. Um, and I have voted for um, both Republicans and Democrats in my past. Perfect. Gotcha. And, and I'm sorry, Green Party, too. Green Party. I campaigned for Howie Hawkins in Maryland, got them on the ballot this year. Awesome. Awesome. So here's like a Around, uh, I like ideas. I love ideas. I'm all about ideas. So hopefully that means you support Andrew Yang. He's an idea person too. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I liked Andrew Yang. I disagreed with a lot of his stuff, but I loved the conversation he brought up, and I, I wish he was more uh, more successful on that debate stage. Gotcha. Same here. So hey, Chris, I'll throw it to you. Uh, the campaign slogan has changed to 
keep America great. So do you believe that America is great because of Donald Trump? And if you do or do not, explain. Chris? Um, all right. So, so I'm next, you said? Sorry about that. I, I was yeah. waiting for my big picture. I was, wait, I was waiting for my big picture to come up on the screen. So, wait for a glamour shot. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. that's right. I got to wait for a glamour shot. I got to look good, you know. Um, <laughs> so, um, as for being America, as as for being America uh, under Trump's. Uh, presidency or not i would say that there is a lot more better with trump's administration than we've seen in the eight years of obama's administration the economy for one thing has been improved has improved greatly in the three years that trump's been in the office over the eight years obama's been in the office i mean you can look at the numbers too i think one of the things that although i don't say i do not say that i don't think that america is like great great but i think it's better with trump i think trump has american people better in mind and i think the fact that he has a, his he coming back from a business standpoint which economy is a big deal and i think the fact that a lot of things that he did such as like knocking out our taxes cutting the taxes down um the plans that he put in effect like the tariffs and stuff uh, like trying to bring businesses back to America. I think that, that is one of the things I think when Trump was talking about making America great, it's not that it's going to be perfect. That he, his point is, is trying to bring more of our place of America here, bringing the more money, the power back into our place instead of depending on uh, foreign powers and losing a lot of our economy over to. So manufacturing. I know I work in manufacturing. And I used to always hear people complaining about um, oh, well, we're, we're sending jobs overseas, and, and that's what we've done. So what Trump did, I know we're talking it's all about economy, but just it's kind of around the same thing. Um, the fact they put tariffs on businesses that are sending bi uh, businesses overseas um, is giving the businesses more incentive to bring that manufacturing in America by giving them tax credits. And uh, I think Trump has done more than he's been given credit for. I think part of the problem that we have the vision is the fact that Democrats are so hell bent, excuse my language, so bent on um, against Trump and because they lost their power. They had Obama in their office for eight years. And uh, because they're losing that power, I think that's one of the big deals that they're, they're, they're kind of all bent out of care about. I think if we want the United States to be united, then instead of the Democrats and the media who are working apparently with the Democrats, instead of working against Trump, they're not even making the effort to even work with Trump. We could do a lot more better in America if they wouldn't be pushing the false narratives, all the hate toward Trump. You know, Trump isn't perfect, and I don't agree with everything he said, but I think a majority, he has a long list of policies that have helped America, but you don't hear nothing mentioned about it because the media don't want to share that information. And I think Trump has done a lot for America. It's just not, it's just not mentioned as much. And I think that if we were to the policies as enacted, you would see a little bit of difference. You would see a big difference of where he has done a lot, even though you don't hear it mentioned as much. But I think America, as for being great again, I think it's, it's better. I wouldn't say it's super great, but I think it's better with Trump's administration. If we could get rid of all the hate from the Democrats and the media, I think we would see that more. But we don't see that much because we always want to find something to hate on Trump about instead of we can just see what he has done good. Well, he has done a lot of good things, including strengthening our military, 
and help our economy and other things. But uh, I don't know. I might be law. I might have been. I don't know what my time is. I don't know if I'm out of time. Where am I? So let me um, get in the groove. He had that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's awesome. So, hey, I want to pass it to Linda. um, And in your response, if you can, if there's anything that you've heard between people that's spoken that you disagree with, you're free to, um, you know, give your opinion. Um, so to the question, is America great right now? Um, that my answer to that is yes and no. Um, there's always great things about our country and there's always great people in our country, but our country has never lived up to its full promise. So, um, what has there ever been a time when it's been great? Yes and no. Right. Um, I think, you know, we've fallen short of our highest promise. So our goal is to always be working towards a more perfect union. And I don't feel like that's what we're doing right now. So that that to me is where uh, the problem lies. I think greatness requires work. It requires progress and it requires a goodness, a desire to be good. Um, so it's a little hard for me to give Trump credit on that score. I do want to just uh, acknowledge Marissa and um, talking about Yang. I mean, um, Biden was not my top choice either. I'm perfectly happy to vote for him. Um, But I think that there were other younger candidates that uh, maybe showed some brighter promise for the country. Um, But I'm very happy that I voted for Biden um, because we did see a lot of people showing up in the primaries who were very clearly once we got to a, a more diverse uh, state where the, the states where the primaries had more diverse uh, voters, um, the voters really voted for him. And I want to respect that. I want to respect that that's what the voters wanted. And um, the last thing I'll say about that is where, where I live, we are a very poor state. Uh, so the economy has not been great here. It has not improved under Trump. Uh, in fact, some of those tariffs have greatly hurt our farmers here. Um, so how we approach voting in Louisiana quite often is as a form of harm reduction. Um, we have people in our communities who can't vote, uh, people in our communities, um, who really need help and assistance. And so I always think of my vote as something more than just my vote. My vote is a vote that represents the people in my community. And so it's an obligation for me to go vote for that. Um, at the end of the day, Greatness is what we should be striving for, and that requires all of us to vote uh, so that we can be um, moving our, our country forward. Gotcha. Thanks a lot. So, hey, um, Justice, uh, you go ahead, and then Marissa will have the last word. Try to be, a little, if you can, so we can move on. It's already eight o'clock. Try to be a little bit more brief if you are repeating something or have the ideas that someone else already said. Try to admit those. Sure. I mean, if the question yeah. is, is America great? I think that. The answer is like, obviously, yes, just at first glance, we are a great country. We are um, incredibly singular, unlike any other country ever to exist in the past. Um, It's just not even close. Um, The nuances of the question is that, you know, are we great in all areas? And the answer is like, obviously not. There are aspects that we're not doing great at. Um, It's been said, I don't think it's really been articulated well, which is that the way that we're sick in this country is a spiritual illness, right? We are not able to communicate with one another. We're not able to uh, get things done because we don't see things from the same fundamental values sort of conversation, right? Like we need to 
change the entire framing of the conversation. The conversation has been framed from a material perspective where it's like, you know, inequality or, or healthcare or like all these specific issues. But the fact is that until we learn how to love one another, until we learn how to really care for one another as individuals and as people, you know, that is the way to make the country better than it already is. That's the way that the country's become great. You know, since the very beginning, the founders were so oriented around the transcendence of the individual because of our being made in the image of God, that that's the type of person that we attracted to this country. It's the ethos that permeates literally the entire system of, of laws that we have in this country. The entire system, of, you know, Western philosophical thought is built on the Judeo-Christian ethic. And just for the last really 50 years, all of our institutions have been invaded by this secularist socialist monster that comes without any real vision of a future that is meaningful or pragmatic. It comes uh, just seeking to destroy and to critique all the things that have made us great, which is this like objective morality and this religious freedom that we have in this country um, and the economic freedom that we have in this country. But again, like I don't even want to get into the material aspects of it because the material aspects are, are illusory. The real story is that we are spiritually ill. And until we um, become enlightened and we come around this shared sense of objective morality under one God, I don't really see, you know, the secular <laughs> socialists tried over and over and over and all they do is fail and it always ends in destruction and poverty. So I'm suggesting a much better way, which is that we come together around the things that draw us together spiritually. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you. And then Marissa, you are our final on that topic. All right. I'm going to make this real brief. America is great. It is wonderful. We are at the very top of the top, right? America's great for police officers, for corrupt judges, for corrupt DAs. America's great for some people, and it always has been great for some people. But as far as for the American public, it's never been great. We founded this country on bloodshed, okay? We have slaughtered so many people and made excuses for one thing or the next never making it right, which is why we're in this exact position that we're in today. So um, as far as corrupted officials, yeah, sure, it's great for them. It's wonderful for them. They're swimming in the wealth. But as far as the American people, I, I hope that none of you guys have to ever experience being a single mother of four children with a degree in psychology that you can't do anything with. However, it's not great for me. <laughs> it's not great for me. It's not great for my mom. It's not great for my dad. It's not great for a whole lot of people that I know. So um, we're never going to get to that point, especially if, if the American government refuses to make it right with the people that they have displayed so many atrocities against in this country. And until that happens, it's never going to be great. Uh, so I'm going to try to combine the next section. We're running uh, we're an hour left. So we should try to combine the next two questions in the, in the best way you can. Okay, yeah. We got like six hours straight. Like, no joke. I want to touch on all of this stuff. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, so I'm just going to jump in here for a quick moment. So we just talked about is America great and, and the whys or why not uh, that you may or may not believe that. Now, we have an election coming up very, very quickly. And we only truly, I'm not going to say only, 
But in this next question, we only really address two people who are actually running for president. And I think it's because the possibility of the winners just so happen to be weighted probably either, either Trump or Joe Biden. So I want to ask you, what excites you the most about the possibility of a Trump reelection? And then what's, what are you most scared of? And I guess the same thing is with the Joe Biden presidency. And then I want, given their record, does either candidate really deserve to get the African-American vote, which is a big pull right now for both candidates? I'm going to ask the Biden supporter first, uh, because right now it's showing that Biden is potentially in the lead. Linda. Yeah. So uh, clarify for me, though. You want me to just answer what excites me about Biden or you want me to talk about what would excite me about Trump as well? For, well, for both. So how about this? How about this? Um, um, since we kind of talked about that question when we talked about our policies, um, let's just go with the deserved life for if that, if that's, that, that way we can, and I, I don't want to mean to like cut into it. That's but, fine. Yeah. I, I kind of I really did talk about, um, too, I, I don't know that it's about exciting. <laughs> for me, for, for either of them, I, I think it's, again, it's a, it's about doing, getting the best person in there and, and someone who I don't feel is, is terrifying. Um, look, I don't think, nobody deserves anybody's vote. I think you have to earn a vote. Um, I think you, that said, you have uh, some vastly different people running if you're talking about the black vote. Uh, and I'm speaking as a, a white woman, so just let's be clear about that if anyone's not able to see the screen. Um, but we have um, the current occupant of the White House, Trump, who has a long history of racism that I think is. Um, Did you give an example? Pretty severe. Uh, 50 years ago, the Nixon Department of Justice accused Trump of racism for refusing to rent to black families. Uh, if you get accused of racism by the Nixon administration, that's pretty hardcore. Uh, he took out full uh, page ads in the paper uh, when five young uh, black and brown boys were uh, accused of raping a woman in Central Park. Those uh, they ended up, they had to serve some time, but the young men were later shown as being, they're now called the exonerated five. You can watch um, Ava DuVernay's When They See Us uh, on TV uh, about that. Uh, he took out a full page ad in the paper. He has never apologized to them. He wanted the death penalty for those people. He went around the country uh, talking about Obama, you know, birtherism and, uh, you know, pushed that um, conspiracy theory forward. Uh, so there's, so that's three examples and I want to go on it too long. Um, but there's, there's more to be found. Um, Biden is a white man who was born, uh, at a time when segregation still existed. He is a product of that time. I believe he is trying to evolve. I don't think it's an easy process for folks that said, the reason he entered politics was after watching the race riots in his city of Wilmington, Delaware, after Martin Luther King was assassinated. And he felt civil rights uh, was what animated him to political life. Um, he has chosen for his campaign leadership. Um, Simone Sanders is, is a, a, 
an advisor in his campaign, one of his top advisors. My congressman, Cedric Richmond, uh, is co-chair of his campaign. He chose a black woman. Uh, he said he'd choose a woman. He chose a black woman for um, his running mate. He has pledged to choose a black woman uh, for Supreme Court. Uh, he understands the need to address the issues of generational wealth. Um, he has a full-fledged plan on his website, joebiden.com slash black America. It's called Lift Every Voice, if anybody wants to read it. Um, so, I, I mean, I think he, and he's backed by a lot of people who uh, I think are trusted in, in, the, uh, in the black community and the black progressive community specifically. Yeah, and I want to also, I want to get Chris in here because he's on the other side of this. So... Chris, I know you're not an African-American. I, I get that. But given that this is one of those bigger base, also the Latinx community is also a big push right now. They're trying to get the, the Latinx vote. They're trying to get the African-American vote. Do you think, given the record of, of Trump's record, because I know you hear this a lot, you, you hear a lot that Trump is a racist. What do you think, or do you think that Trump is a better candidate for people of color. Well, I think uh, with like some, I, I I don't know all the. Um, I, like I said, I know some of the stuff that Trump has done for the black community. I don't know everything. I know he has helped black colleges. Um, as for racism, I mean, he's been accused of racism over and over again. They condemn white supremacy. I mean. It's an underlying story that the only reason why they ask him so much is because they're trying to get the black vote. Well, Trump has over and over time said he condemns white supremacists, KKK. And as for Joe Biden's record, he doesn't have a very good record either for the black people. Um, in fact, he was even at a funeral of a former KKK member. Um, I don't know a whole lot of details about that, but he also had that what was that criminal bill back in the eighties that put thousands of I don't remember numbers, bill. high numbers, thousands of black people in jail. So to try to say that he's not racist, I also think is just because he, uh, um, a wo black woman, which some people uh, kind of contest, not really fully, it's really not important. But the thing is, is uh, you know. If you're only picking a candidate because she's black, I don't think that's really a good answer. If you're going to pick a woman, whether black or whatever, you need to pick her because of her credentials. And Kamala Harris does not have a good list. If you look at her history, she doesn't have great credentials. She's also very extreme leaning and has some bad reputation as being a prosecutor has done a lot of things that are really bad. Uh, so as for as for Trump goes, I don't know about before his presidency as much as he has done as for uh, blacks. But I know since he's been the president and he did the uh, prison reform bill, he's, uh, he's done other things like other things. I don't know all the list right now. I don't have all the list here, but I know he's been doing he's been working to help black people more. And the between Joe Biden is, and Trump, well, Joe Biden. He has no excuse to say he's going to help black people. He's not racist. Well, my goodness gracious, you know, he's been in the politics for seven years and ran with Obama, the first black president in the United States of a freaking America here. And he hasn't done a single dang thing for the black people. When he was with uh, the VP with for, uh, Obama, what did you see that they really did much for the black people? Hardly much anything talked about. And I just, although I, I don't know, uh, I'd like, I would like to see 
more with for black people for Trump. And uh, I have to try to look at some more Stiwa and try to follow up a little bit more what he's done. But I still think out of both the two, um, that uh, Trump is going to uh, is going to be more uh, more help for the black people, uh, and that affects both the the community and the economy, and everything works together to help black people. And also, incidentally, as for polls go, because the polls haven't been always accurate, actually, it's interesting to note that the polls actually are raising for Trump from black people, which you don't hear much about that. But more black people are voting for Trump, so apparently they see something with them. But that, that that's where I stand. I don't have a whole lot of detail, a whole lot of stories about that, but I, I, I still stand with I believe Trump uh, is uh, he does what he says he's going to do. And that that's my opinion. OK, I'm not sure where those polls are, um, but we're going to leave those polls where they are. OK, um, but here's but what we're going to do is we're going to jump to a, another another topic here. I want to ask you guys, we don't really have a lot of things going on as far as wars or, or new wars or they're not engaging in new wars. Okay, but war is heavy, heavily on our mind. There, of course, we have places like Iran. We have other foreign powers that we need to be uh, looking at. What are your thoughts on war? Is there ever an acceptable reason to it, potentially invade another country? Do you think that Americans should be doing more in foreign policy? Because there is this ideal that under the Trump it, administration, we have not been as strong on foreign policy. We have allowed certain dictatorships to be able to do as they please. I'm going to ask Mr. James, what are your thoughts on this? Do you feel that America is, is being kind of lax on foreign policy? And do you think that there's ever a need or what's your thought on war? So <clears throat> war in general, I'll, I'll cover like the, the broad philosophical topic. War should be defensive. There's like an old doctrine about um, uh, what, what is the just war? What is a good war? And usually it's almost always defensive, right? So you try to trade with people, you try to talk to people, and only as a last resort should you go and murder their kids. That's not okay. You can't just drop a bomb in Hiroshima or Nagasaki. That's not okay. There, there's, there's things that America's done for war, and we just don't care because they're all, uh, you know, not Americans, right? So in general, I'm very skeptical of war, as are just about every single libertarian I know. And the other thing is war is the biggest government program in the history of governments. This is what they do. That's where most of the money goes. That's where most of the power comes from. Every single war, the government gets more power and they use it to keep people in line. And then guess who gets killed? Well, people in third, uh, third world countries because we just don't care about brown people in the Middle East, I guess. So I'm very much against war. Um, is war ever okay? I, you know, if it's defensive, yeah, we should pull all of our troops home, have them on our borders. If somebody's dumb enough to attack us, we'll slap them around like nobody's business. We have, we spend more than the next seven countries, seven biggest countries combined on war, not defense on war. We're in 150 countries around the world. We're subsidizing all of Europe's defense. We're subsidizing Japan's defense. We're spending a trillion dollars a year on war. What does it cost to defend a country like this? I don't know, 300 billion. So we're wasting like $600 billion just going around and occupying countries. And the reason why it seems like we're not at war right now is because nobody's talking about it. We're in seven active military com uh, conflicts. We're actively involved in a genocide in Yemen and nobody cares. So Wait, Trump uh, how is are we involved in a genocide in Yemen? So the Yemenis um, people are actually being... Uh, I consider it systemic uh, extermination. You, you know, can keep like, talking, but I'm going to bring everybody in. You, but you can keep talking. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
So, um, so Saudi Arabia is uh, exterminating a, a political or a, a particular um, uh, uh, race in that area. And they're located in Yemen. They're being sanctioned. They're being bombed. And they're actually being actively uh, killed. The military equipment that it's uh, being used to do this um, and the uh, the airplanes that they have and the military equipment is all from the United States. We're consistently giving Saudi Arabia um, uh, basically free range. And we're not condemning them. This is an actual genocide. If you look at the numbers, there's starvation. Um, it, it is it is not OK. So that's one of them. But we have we have uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Uh, we're currently in Libya. We're still fighting the um, the ISIS thing. We're, we're in everywhere. And it's insane because we don't talk about it anymore. It's like, here's the thing about Obama. The anti-war left was great under Bush. Where'd they go under Obama? He was doing the same stuff, except it was only five countries. Now we're in seven countries. It's it's insane. So I'm sorry. I, that That's a personal thing for me. I hate war because it's just like legalized mass generous, genocide. And it's not OK. We should be defensive. We should not be involving. The reason the reason why a lot of the attacks happen on us is because we're poking people. We're overthrowing government. We overthrew Venezuela's government. We overthrew the Shah and Iran in 1953. And what happened? They took our hostages. And so that's why we, we, we reap what we sow. So we you believe that a lot of the things that have happened to America were because we were helping um, or doing humanitarian efforts for other countries? I don't consider them humanitarian efforts if you're killing kids, bombing hospitals, and overthrowing elected governments. That's not humanitarian. That's a cover. Humanitarian is a cover for um, us propping up oil companies in the Middle East and us propping up uh, 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 corporations in Central America. That's humanitarian. That's not okay. okay. Justice. Yeah, I want to. I'm going to ask Justice since he he kind of interjected there. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think. He made a great point in the very beginning about just war, which is Augustine's theory about whether or not a war is just. That's, uh, you know, the original sort of philosophical conversation on whether or not war is just. Obviously, sometimes war is just, right? Like, it is just for England to fight against Nazi Germany in the World War II. So sometimes war is necessary. Um, you know, there's a saying, war is politics by other means. Uh, I think one thing that is important to keep in note in our context is that we live in a society where everybody is against war. The Democrats are pacifists. The, the, the people on the right are mostly libertarian, non-interventionists. It's very unfashionable uh, to be a war hawk right now. And mm -hmm. so there might actually be something to it because whenever the herd is all going in one direction, you might want to watch out for the cliff. Um, I think that the other point that James was making, that's just pretty naive is this idea that war only comes in like one category, which is like, this is just um, this is merely a front for some sort of like oil move or some sort of power play. Like there are people who want to go to war for just cause. Like a lot of people wanted to go liberate Hong Kong. A lot of people wanted to liberate Venezuela. We, a lot of people in Venezuela right now would probably be a lot better off if we got that like insane communist out of office. So there is sometimes that I think it's useful to go to war. Um, I, I think the other thing that we need to admit, just acknowledge is that we've been at war for the last 30 years with China and we don't even know it. China wrote a book, uh, the, the People's Liberation Army wrote a book in the 90s called Unrestricted Warfare that lays out a, a basically a Cold War strategy against the United States that they have been enacting for the last several decades. <clears throat> and we've known about it, but our elite who are overwhelmingly secular, non-interventionist globalists never talk about it. And so this is why China has been has got investments in all of our major, major media companies, has got investments in all of our major technology companies. It's a major, major problem. And so like what, you know, the question before that I didn't get to answer 
was what has Trump done to make America great? And that's a great question. I think one thing that he's done is he's been tough on China. We need to be even tougher on China. But the fact is that only like 1% of Americans are, you know, have the balls to say when it's a good idea to go to war. And with China, it's absolutely an existential threat to all of Western civilization. I think we've seen that with the coronavirus nonsense. We need to get tough on China. If it means going to war, it means going to war. And honestly, there's such an evil, wicked, secular communist regime i think it would probably be a good thing and a net benefit to society so you don't agree with uh thomas jefferson and the founders that we do not, not thomas need to jefferson. Go out? i don't i don't agree with thomas jefferson on almost anything <laughs> um, well let me finish the question so yeah. the founders specifically said that we do not need to be the world's policemen and that we do not need to really? go out and insert in in let me finish my quote Okay. Um, we, the we United have to be States, respectful. Okay. Let, let them. I, I'm sorry. I apologize. No, you're okay. Um, let, go ahead. Finish your. Finish your. Finish your so thought. The, the quote was exactly that. We do not need to be uh, in search of monsters to destroy. And this was actually specifically out of uh, uh, John Adams, uh, the John Adams, the, the elder. Um, we do not. We do not need to be a nation in search of monsters to destroy around the world, lest we uh, find ourselves in foreign entanglements. So basically, it's it once and also, how can you argue we're non-interventionist in when we're in 150 countries and seven active war zones? And how can you how can you argue that one thing at a time? Can I answer one of these questions? Well, you got to make a whole bunch of points, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, the non-interventionist point I think is like most Republicans and conservatives right now do adopt the non-interventionist libertarian stance. That is the popular position on the left or on the right right now. On the left, I actually think the left is becoming. A little bit more interventionist than uh like i remember like 10 or 20 years ago so you know i, I i'll i'll concede that yeah there might be a little bit more than one percent of americans who are you know pro-intervention um yeah i'm not looking for monsters to destroy i'm not saying we need to look for monsters to destroy i'm saying that china has been committing acts of war against us for 20 years and we are pretending that it's not happening and that is stupid obviously okay that's what i'm saying Okay, and and this we can talk about this forever, but here's another topic that I'm pretty sure you guys will go back and forth on. Uh, Alex, do you want to handle the next question? Yes. So, uh, does the United States have a gun problem? We have uh, a lot of city shootings. We have a lot of mass shootings. We have, um, as as we all know, the Kyle Rittenhouse situation where he went to another city with a gun that didn't belong to him, and he ended up shooting two people and killing them, and then shooting a third person and injuring the bicep. Um, there has been a lot of tug and pull on that topic of what to do with guns, so I would like to know, should we just leave it alone, or should we do something about it? So I'm going to throw it to the NRA guy, Chris, first, and then afterwards, Linda. Hey, um, quick, before I get the guns, I, I had to comment a little something on it really quick, real quick. Um, well, you know, the military, I know soldiers who tell you to, I, actually, I have a relative who is in a special ops, and, uh, or he's been in the military, and he'll tell you, just like many other military, that tell you that when they go over there, they're actually doing a lot of good. I mean, if you only say the war, and you only look at the one point of it, you don't realize that America has a lot of good. And going over the countries, a lot of military has helped people. You don't hear much of it talked about, but going to the military over there with the war. And, and one quick thing, um, Trump has pulled the troops out. Obama put the troops and he's been pulling the troops out. 
with the military. And as for foreign policy, Rick, with, with the war situation, he has been nominated for four Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, so that's my uh, quick answering about the military. We do need a strong military uh, force because uh, the world out there, they don't look at the things that we do. We're Americans. We look at things different than what the world right. does. They look at power. And if we don't have a good, secure uh, power base in our country, we're just going to get overruled by them. A quick thing about guns. guns. Um, okay, well, we know it's the Constitution. Constitution, right to bear arms. The reason why it's important is because you have the right to protect your family, your family, your loved one, property. If we don't have that, all we do is give more powers to the criminals. We don't give power to the citizens. And the more laws you try to put to restrict on uh, gun rights, all that does is give more power to the military. I mean, uh, to the criminals. Look at places that have tight uh, guns, gun bans such as New York City. It doesn't do anything for the crime. Crime's still going to happen. Are important because it helps just give us that independence to protect. So if a cop isn't around the corner and there's someone that's going to try and rape or kill your family, you have the right to protect your family. And that's why it's important to have the freedom that we have with the guns. I don't like Biden's policy with the guns, um, although he won't say it. he's eventually wanting to ban guns. I mean, I, I went to his site. You can look at his website. It's it's pretty uh, pretty legit with the stuff he has. It's pretty harsh about guns. And um, he's not about the uh, second. And you can read it in his policies. Uh, but I'm not going to go through that. But that's a, uh, my quick note on that. Um, I'm very uh, firm in the right to bear arms, protect your family and loved ones. And uh, that's where I stand. OK, so you're saying that you believe that Joe Biden is trying to abolish the second. I and mean, it's up already. Yeah. So, hey, so just, just to be, also be clear. Well, too. I think he, I think. Well, well go ahead. Um, to be clear, you don't think that we should do anything with guns whatsoever. <laughs> No, I'll just be really quick because I gotta go to the window. Uh, there should be no changes whatsoever. You don't want guns touched at all. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I don't think we need to do anything with the guns. I really don't. Okay. I don't think we need to do any special policies with the guns. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't think we need to change anything regarding. Right, cool. Um, Linda, can you uh, give a response? I can be real quick. I, I, I do hope people will go to Joe Biden's website joebiden.com and read about um, his issues because no, Joe Biden does not want to abolish the second amendment. I think polls show that the vast majority of Americans actually believe in um, a few different things that we should do like um, assault rifles and background checks. There, there are some things that people actually, Republicans and Democrats majority of actually agree on and I think we should move on those. Um, and I, I don't know if it's okay, I don't wanna uh, be disrespectful of your flow, but if I could yield some time here to Marissa. I'd yes, love of course, to no, you. definitely, oh. definitely she was my next pick and then I have a follow-up okay. that I'd like to go with uh, with the, the two people I know love guns, which are the remainder two Democrats, so. Um, yeah, so I, okay, yeah, uh, thank you, Linda, for, for that. Um, no, Biden doesn't want to abolish the Second Amendment. I think a lot of right-wing conspiracy groups spread that type of misinformation around, and if you would, I mean, it's as simple as a quick Google search. He's not trying to, he's not trying to take your guns. Um, <laughs> uh as far as his as, website literally says he's trying to ban guns. <laughs> like, okay. Okay, let, 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 yeah, let, 
Get right. weapons of war right. off our streets. Yeah. The bans on assault rifles and high-capacity magazines that Biden, along with Senator Feinstein, secured in 94, reduced the lethality of mass shootings. But in order to secure the passage of the bans, they had to agree to a 10-year sunset provision when the time came. We want to ban the manufacture and sale of assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. We want to regulate the possession of right. existing assault weapons. Right. So it's we a want specific to buy back type the assault of weapons gun that he's right. not he's not actually abolishing right. the so, Second so, Amendment. So, so that's I what the Second Amendment that... is for. I want to make that clear. So you're not being clear if you're not clear about what the Second Amendment is for. The Second Amendment is for the the right to bear bear arms. arms Oh, yeah. No, no but you have to be able to defend yourself from the government. The whole point is that you're able to defend yourself. Hey, James, hop in on this because you know the whole point. Wait, wait, wait. Let us allow Marissa to finish her point and then you guys will have the floor. Go ahead, Thank Marissa. You. Thank you. Um, I don't understand why people assume that banning AR-15s is taking away all guns. It's not. That's not a thing. I think that a lot of people are very paranoid by uh, these conspiracy theories that are always coming up. It's and on it's his website. Time, and it's always wow. I'm not Kamala Harris, so <laughs> we gonna we gonna get this wrapped up real quick. Um, as far as as far as uh, any stipulations being on on guns, um, laws, regulations, all of that, I say let anybody have whatever it is that they want. I mean, because eventually it's going to get in the wrong hands and then we're going to have the right type of regulations that we need. People aren't going to understand that unless you put them in the thick of it. You give you give it you let anybody take an AR-15. I guarantee you, I guarantee you there's going to be some some proper rules and regulations. But until that happens, uh, you're not gonna get anything out of anybody. People are too paranoid that everybody's gonna come and take their guns. It happens every election cycle. The Democrats are coming to take your guns. Nobody's ever come to take your guns. Obama had eight years to take your guns. He never took your guns. Biden's not gonna take your guns. Guns aren't going anywhere. Well, so weird because communists are well, taking the guns. Like they right, took the guns in Venezuela, they took the guns in Australia, they yes. took the guns in New Zealand. They take the guns every single time they get the chance. America. And the fact this is, is yeah, uh, because we have the Second Amendment that says right. we have the right so, to bear so, arms. And the whole point of the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms is so that we can defend ourselves against a well-regulated militia. We have to yeah. allow everybody <laughs> the, the right to the right speak. to bear arms. And because if we don't give if we, I'm gonna have to mute. I'm gonna have to mute because yeah. we have to give everybody the chance to speak. Because Without when, when audio is, it we can't hear each other. So right. when we play this back on audio, it's like, what are they saying? So that's why it's we need to make sure that everybody is getting a chance. So go ahead, Alex. Let me give a follow up, and James and uh, Justice, you guys can answer the question. You know, I guess piggyback off each other with this. Um, would there be any gun legislation that you would be okay with if it was implemented? That would be my question for the two of you. So, uh, James, you go first, and then Justice, you can go last. We both know that you guys are very pro-guns, and uh, there is you guys don't feel that there's a gun problem in America. So what about that follow-up question? So the first thing, I mean, the, the first question about the guns was, what do I think needs to be changed about the guns? Well, I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, one of the main reasons why I am very pro-gun is because I think more minorities need guns. 
All right. right. So I, I did a ton of research back in um, the founding of the United States when there were still colonies all the way up through modern times. And systemically, every single gun law that was ever passed, every single gun legislation, gun confiscation was aimed directly and explicitly at minorities and especially African-Americans. The reason why is because they were all scared of slave uprisings and, and revolts. So right. systemically, right. if you look at every single gun control legislation from every single state, every like it was an average of every three years, it would pass a new stricter where they could go into somebody's house and take anything that could be dangerous so they couldn't defend themselves. So my first point is that every single tragedy that has befallen minorities around the world, and especially in the United States, um, is a is partly because they can't defend themselves. So I'm very pro-gun, especially for the people that um, are minorities. And I mean that because minorities are the ones that get beat up on and taken advantage of. So if you look at minorities, whether you're, you're white or you're black or whether you're poor, or you're rich or whatever, it's the minorities that need guns. so They don't get stepped on. And I think that's one of the things that keeps the United States free. And it's not that I'm saying that there's not a problem with violence because um, there is. Uh, and guns are a choice of people that want to use uh, violence on other people. But I think that it's something to consider is the is the implications of if you disarm people, if you disarm everyone, um, including minorities, uh, we're just going to revert to oppressing minorities again. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm, sa I'm saying that whatever minority there is, and I'm not just specifically talking about black, white, Hispanic, I'm talking about whether, you know, whether you're associated with a, a particular group or whether you're poor, because that was the other thing is they started regulating uh, that poor people couldn't have guns. So I think it is a, an equalizer in the in the mm -hmm. in the broader sense. And I think it's right. it's it's kind of naive to not think that bad things will happen to minorities if the minorities are not armed. Now, interestingly enough, the NFAC down in Georgia um, has kind of taken this and run with it. There's that group is not fucking around coalition. It's all armed um, African-American men and women, and they march just to show that they have weapons. They don't use them. They just say, hey, don't fuck with us. And on top right. of that, there is a new organization called Black Guns Matter, uh, led by Maj Touray up in Philly. Great dude. He teaches firearm training for inner city people, de-escalation, conflict resolution, so that we don't shoot each other when we're mad. Right. Right. And I think these things are important. We're not responsible gun owners a lot of times. So I think education and training is really important. But I also think if you if you start taking things away from people, minorities are going to have it the worst because it happens in history every single time. Talking about Greenwood, talking about North Tulsa, talking about Nazi Germany, talking about every yeah, single genocide yeah. you could possibly imagine. It's against minorities and they don't have the way to defend themselves. So I think it's a broader conversation there. It's how much do we want to limit minorities ability to defend themselves? That's a really important topic. Yeah, so, yeah. so I don't think I don't think you're Hey, that wraps up Millennials Anonymous podcast for this week. We will be back on our regularly scheduled. Pro well, we, I don't know. It depends on what happened. We might be back. I don't know. We may still have free press. Who the hell knows? Who the fuck knows? We might not. I don't know. So let's hope. We'll be back on our regularly scheduled programming and back to the fun, back to the laughter, back to the kiki, ha-ha, and jokity joke jokes. But for this week, I thought it was absolutely imperative that we kind of highlight what's going on. And if you want to hear the rest of this panel, because it is almost two hours, you can certainly do that by going to For the People of the People on Anchor and also on Spotify, and you can listen there. Please subscribe to them. Shout out to everybody who was involved. Although our differences and our opinions and ideologies are very, very different, we want to be respectful to all of those voices in America. So 
without further ado, be safe. Be safe. Walmart didn't stop selling guns, y'all. So be safe. You know, and that COVID, that COVID out here, I told you she in your closet, she under your bed, she in your car. All right? She here. So I need for y'all to be safe, safe, safe. Be safe so y'all can come back too. So we will see y'all next week. Bye.